Hello and welcome to the AdNug podcast, the podcast for the Adelaide.net user group. I'm your host, David Gardner. This is the second recording from our May 2018 meeting, Blockchain for Mobile, with Michael Williams. Blockchain is the next big thing. Have you ever wondered how we can incorporate this technology with mobile? In this session, we'll learn how to integrate blockchain technology with your mobile applications and have a look at the new Azure Blockchain Workbench. And now, over to the presentation. So you're actually the first um, Australian meetup group to have this talk. The first time I delivered this was actually in South Korea. Um, so this is the second time I'm actually giving it to anyone, anyone else. Um, basically, the talk is mainly around the Azure Blockchain Workbench, uh, which just went live literally two days ago at Build. So some of the stuff I'm probably going to show you is going to change, um, mainly on the UX front with the product that went live at Build. So I'll start off with just an introduction. My name is Michael Williams. I've been working with Microsoft for a bit over a year now. Um, I came in with the Xamarin acquisition. So I'm a GBV. I cover ANZ. I used to cover 14 countries across Asia Pacific, but now my region is obviously restricted. So I cover now basically app innovation, which is anything from app dev, mobile, uh, blockchain is a new focus. Obviously, that's why I'm coming and talking about it today. Um, those two photos there, that was from North Korea. I actually just ran a half marathon in Pyongyang. Um, so something interesting about me. All right, let's get straight into it. So show, can I have a show of hands who has looked into blockchain yet at all? Got a couple? Well, awesome. Okay, quite a few. Has any of you ever looked at actually trying to build out an app, blockchain app at all, ever? Exactly, because it's super expensive. Um, very, very timely as well, and um, it can take up to months of work to build. So basically, blockchain and mobile, uh, some of the areas that I'm going to cover today is around smart contracts, going to go a bit through ledgers, like different network types, private-public consortium. Um, going to go mainly through the blockchain workbench and how we can work on building POCs and porting blockchain to mobile. So if you wanted to, say, deliver to the business of a smart wallet, for example, rather than taking months and spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, you can literally spin up an Ethereum backend in less than an hour and get a uh, gateway API so your mobile app can start processing transactions on the blockchain. So uh, some of the uses around... Some of the uses, like I said, around blockchain is some of these things on the right. Smart wallets is a very good example. Um, Telcoin, which is around telcos using Bitcoin for, obviously, telecommunications. Health data is another big one. We're seeing a lot of the um, health industry move on blockchain. So finance, telcos, health, um, those are the three big drivers at, at this point in time. And again, it, it obviously comes down to anything transactional. So anything around security and transactions, you can port to blockchain. But there are some use cases right now which are not good for it. One of the biggest problems with a blockchain network is throughput. So I think if you were to try to bring in, say, blockchain into, say, a high throughput architecture, it won't work. And currently, the technology is not up to scratch with that point yet. I was actually just over in New Zealand speaking to a company called Centrality. Uh, they recently just uh, did an ICO offering and raised $80 million in about six minutes. They're one of the first people across the globe to get a high-throughput blockchain. Um, it's called Plug. 
and it's going to be, I'm not sure if, if it's going to be in production anytime soon, but um, basically they're getting almost two or 300,000 transactions a second on that blockchain implementation. Bitcoin at this point in time, and when it was first released, can only get seven transactions per second. So Ethereum, if you were to just take the first version of Ethereum and deploy it, you probably only get about 30 transactions per second. Whereas architecture in enterprise, you have to reach throughput of million, million transactions per second in some cases, especially for some of the big banks. So an example of like blockchain and mobile, smart wallet. I'm sure if you've looked at blockchain before, you've heard of this. Um, you can access your blockchain wallet on the go. Usually around security, they'll have like another QR code, could be facial ID now that iOS does it. Um, also fingerprinting. And these are some of the things that can authenticate like digital transactions when it comes to money. Um, so how does it work? This is the set of transactions that is, that is involved with processing like person A to person B transaction, like a transacting money, a Bitcoin or any sort of digital currency. First step is person A wants to send person B. Hey, I just met you. You guys want to send me $20. Great. Let's do it over a smart wallet. The transaction is represented online as a block. The block is broadcasted to every part of the network. Once that broadcast happens, everyone on that network must approve the transaction. So every single node must take that block, mine the blockchain and put it on. If it's an authorised transaction. And it's authorised over some sort of proof of work Sorry, some sort of consensus. We have proof of work and proof of state. And I'll go through them in a minute. Five, the block then is added to the chain and transparent record of transactions. So all the nodes now can see that blockchain on, sorry, that block on the blockchain. Then finally, the money's moved to person B. And that's an authorised transaction. That now sits across all the nodes on the blockchain. Easy. That's one example. Now let's talk about blockchain in the cloud. I'm going to probably go through this really, really fast because there's a lot of content. Stop me if I'm going too fast because I do tend to talk a lot. So there are three different network types that are, that are the most popular. Public was the first ever release of blockchain. It's Bitcoin, it's Ethereum, it's basically anyone who wants to buy Bitcoin. That's, that's public, right? So anyone can replicate the blockchain, anyone can create a node and attach themselves to the network and replicate the blockchain. We can't just whack blocks on and make them authorised. We can't do that. But we can just create a node and attach ourselves to the network and replicate the blockchain. So then all those other authorised transactions that are happening on the chain, we'll get that replicated across our node as well. We don't set up any sort of centralization in that network. By that I mean around authorization. So who can actually read and write to the blockchain? Writes and reads by all participants on that network is possible. And the consensus is done by proof of work. What proof of work is, proof of work is all bound to, is, I'll talk in the concept of mining. So if I own the most computation, I can basically be the person to mine the most blockchain. So if I own more computation, I have the power to mine the biggest amount of Bitcoin, for example. It doesn't matter whether I already own the most Bitcoin, if I've got more computation, I have the ability to mine faster than anyone else. Then we have consortium. 
Now, this is where we're starting to actually centralize. It's kind of funny. Blockchain is all about distributed networking. Now, when we get to private, it's actually starting to centralize that distribution a lot more. Consortium is all around permission basis. And this was kind of the next step where the network types went. Uh, basically, our reads and writes are, sent, no, sorry, our write permissions for the blockchain are centralized. Our reads may be public and restricted as well. So we're actually starting to centralize permissions to read and write to the blockchain. So if anyone wants to say, hey, I want to put a block on the blockchain, they will have to go through that centralization or authorization before actually adding it to the chain. Um, there are multiple algorithms for consensus. So these are the consensus algorithms for actually mining the blockchain and putting the block on the chain. Um, Ethereum was probably the first step from Bitcoin to go permissioned. And now Ethereum obviously was the first ever implementation of blockchain to bring in smart contracts. And that's when we're starting to actually centralise that authorization to read and write on the blockchain a lot more. When we come into enterprise, so enterprise is basically the biggest driver for blockchain at this point today. This is why we've gone private, because uh, enterprise, like, say, for example, uh, NAB, for example, CBA, the big banks, they don't want to offer their blockchain publicly, right? So this is where the private network type came into play. Basically, enterprise customers want private blockchains, so only apps or only nodes with inside their company are able to replicate the blockchain. So inside a private network type, we're actually centralizing everything when it comes to security. We're basically having our centralization of authorization. That's going to be the one to tell us that nodes here, here, and here are able to read and write to the chain. Reads may be public or restricted. We actually can expose the, uh, the blockchain publicly if we want. And I guarantee you no enterprise customer would ever want to do that. So those are the three different network types. That's a really, really rough overview. If you want to look more into it, I would highly suggest you do so, but I'm not going to spend too much time talking about blockchain. I want to talk about the workbench. So these are the three different use cases. I'll go over just a few scenarios. Public. Um, FX exchange is probably one of the biggest drivers for public network types. Permission, basically loan approvals um, is a good example, which is getting a lot of consortium network implementations. Um, supply chain is another big one as well. Private is basically any enterprise customer wanting to build blockchain-style architecture and fronting apps internally. So we have no public access to that network. And this is kind of where, actually, I'm going to skip that. It's rubbish. South Korea liked it, but it's boring. Um, cool. Okay. So this is kind of an example of how uh, there are three different options for, like, public permission private. This is an example of a public um, implementation. Buyer, seller, two nodes. Those nodes, there's no centralization around here. Consensus is done across all the nodes distributed. So it's all done by proof of work. Option two, permissioned. And this is where we're starting to centralise all that stuff going on around reads and write permissions on the actual blockchain. Option three, 
is private, and that's obviously trying to centralise most of that network authorization in the cloud. So blockchain on Azure, that's what it looks like. Do you know how long it takes to implement that stuff? IBM right now, I don't want to criticise them, but they are pushing uh, Hyperledger. Hyperledger Fabric is what they're pushing. And what they want um, enterprise customers to do is, is come talk to us. We'll help you build a blockchain implementation. But it takes hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, it takes months before you can even push a product to business. And that's just not feasible. And again, sometimes they go all the way down, pushing hundreds of thousands of dollars into a POC that doesn't work out. And the idea what the workbench is trying to do is, is, is telling you straight off the bat, you can deploy Ethereum, write an app, if that works, sweet, let's go and continue that project forward. And you can get that POC tick within a week of work. Whereas, say, if you go down the Hyperledger fabric example, you've got to build the entire architecture yourself. You've got to build event producers. Event producers are the events coming from all your different nodes to write and read on the blockchain. We also have event producers for a gateway API. So my mobile app, a smart wallet, for example, wants to start calling operations to read and write to the blockchain, that's going to produce events as well. The next part is collection management, and that's around collection managing events, smart contracts, and all data flow throughout that blockchain architecture. We also have event ingestures, so gateway API events where my mobile app saying, I want to transfer money and write a new block to the chain. That'll go through an event hub and an event consumer. And also the events coming from other nodes and on the blockchain architecture, that's going to be consumed by Event Hub. Transformation is all around taking all those events, transforming all the updates and transactions on the smart contracts in the blockchain. I mean, I could talk for hours about all the architectural requirements in the back end of what blockchain requires. And like I said, it's super expensive. I have not visited one enterprise customer that would ever want to invest that much money to get a node we can't build this on blockchain. So where does the workbench come in? So blockchain POCs are expensive. And I don't know, has anyone here, the guys who put their hands up before who have looked into blockchain, have you heard of Project Lexington? Anyone here? Okay, cool. Project Lexington was an open source project started by Microsoft around one-click deployments to build Ethereum networks, uh, quarter networks, Hyperledger networks on Azure. It's come a long way in the past two years where basically now we have one-click deployments for Ethereum, Quarter, Hyperledger, where you literally just put in, I don't know, eight or nine text boxes and click deploy and you'll get a distributed ledger completely deployed into Azure. You can then front apps directly into that um, <coughs> distributed ledger straight away. So building a simple app, if for example, like the reason why I went to Korea and talk about this was because they were wanting to build a POC smart wallet application for a customer. And they, the customer wanted it so bad that they couldn't afford it. And then they, I don't know how they even found out about this pre, it was in preview, we didn't actually even advertise it. Somehow they, someone at Microsoft must have mentioned it to them. They were one of the first users of it and they were able to basically, even with the preview product, click deploy for a private Ethereum network and write a mobile app pretty much within a week. 
And you can deliver that to the business and say, here's a smart wallet application. It's built on Ethereum. There is no other product that can do it at that speed and at that cost unless you're building the entire architecture from scratch. So what can Azure Workbench do? One of the biggest things around... Um, sorry, if you're using an Ethereum network type in blockchain, sorry, if you're using an Ethereum blockchain for an architecture, it is all bound by smart contracts. So any transactions between two different parties is all done through smart contracts. The blockchain workbench is built on Ethereum. So the idea around it is, is I can just go ahead and one-click deploy my backend for Ethereum, and then I can focus the time on the scenarios around the smart contracts. So... If I'm wanting to build, I'm just going to start and say, I want to build a POC mobile app for health data built on blockchain. It might be an app for doctors, patients, surgeons, three different parties making different transactions to each other. Patients visit a doctor, health data gets inputted into the system, a surgeon might take that data, make some changes on it, perform an operation on the patient. All that data flow and that scenario workflow going in and out of the blockchain Three different parties, we want to just bound a smart contract. I don't want to worry about what's happening in the distributed ledger side. I just want to work out the agreements and scenario in the smart contract. So the workbench allows you to literally just take your smart contract implementation and click deploy, and it will actually set up all the data tables, all the schemas inside your architecture and your ledger. So basically you now have the transactions to start running on that smart contract. So basically all we do, input a smart contract, press create, and basically we can start writing block apps is what we call it. How's that for ingesting all that information? Not going too fast? All good? Cool. Um, so the way it works, it's a, it's a private network, so it's for enterprise. It's basically one-click deployment on private Ethereum networks. Federated identity is done basically around Active Directory. So the workbench controls all read and write permissions for the blockchain, all the nodes involved, that's all managed by your Active Directory instance. So before you deploy um, a, a Workbench instance, you actually have to give um, a directory tenant ID. Um, you have to give it like a, a group of users that might be your admin inside your Active Directory. And these are the stuff that we just actually put into the Workbench instance and click deploy. Automatically generated client applications. So now that it's gone live uh, since build, when you deploy it, you'll actually get like a mobile app just to download straight away and start using. At least that's what they told me. I haven't seen it up on Azure yet, but I'm sure it's coming any day now. Um, so your distributed ledger's completely deployed. Um, all the requirements around like building transactions on your smart contracts to transaction signing, updating those transactions when people are processing stuff on a block in the blockchain. That's all managed by SQL database by Event Grid and Event Hub, all that stuff is in place. You don't need to worry about setting that stuff up. It's got robust integration capabilities. It actually gives you straight off the bat an API for my mobile app to start reading and writing to the chain. Um, it's even got off-chain data storage. If you're doing any sort of transactions in a blockchain architecture that's not being written onto the blockchain, that's known as off-chain transactions. Off-chain transactions are actually recorded in this network in its own SQL database. So off-chain transactions might be, uh, an example. it might be, for example, I might actually have to read a block for updating, I want to buy an asset, and then I might want to record that data around the <coughs> asset details 
put it in my off-chain data so it can be read by another, say, third-party application. That's one example of off-chain. There's many more. Key management is all around related to federated identity. So basically all around the authorization to read and write onto your uh, services in Azure. That's all managed by key management. So public-private keys for your nodes. If you lose private keys, you're pretty much screwed. Um, you can't get them back, and we actually cannot get them back. So I would highly suggest that when you do get private, when you do actually set this stuff up, sometimes you will have to record your private keys. You can only see them once, and we actually can't get them back sometimes. Um, monitoring on all your Azure resources, Azure resources in a resource group, that's done by App Insights. So all like telemetry from data consumption, from API querying from your mobile apps, all monitored by App Insights. Event publishing, as we talked about before, done by Event Hub, and then we've got the, all the hashing algorithm. Don't need to worry about it. It's done all there by, I think it's, uh, I think it's SHA-256 and there's SHA-2 as well. Those are two hashing algorithms that are used inside this private network type. I don't know yet if you can actually provide your own crypto sort of algorithms for doing hashing. There is talk about whether they want to give you the ability to do so, but if you're going to go that far, you might want to actually set up your own um, Ethereum network, which I'll show you you can also do. And that can be one-click deploy as well. Okay. So. Cool. So basically, has anyone here written an ARM template on Azure? They suck, and I never want to do it again. It's the worst thing I've ever done. I spent hours fiddling around with JSON and Visual Studio. It's, it's terrible. If I would highly suggest, if you're going to start writing ARM templates, use um, Terraform. Terraform is very, very good. Uh, it's very, very easy and much better syntax. I try to tell people stay out of ARM. It just takes too much time. Even the guy who like built ARM said they suck. I see it in Seattle all the time, and he hates writing them. So I think that's a pretty clear sign. But basically the way these sort of um, private network types and all these blockchain architectures are deployed, it's all done through ARM templates. So if I want to set up an Ethereum network, they're actually, when I click deploy, it actually will use a, a pre-configured ARM template. And we've got ARM templates for uh, like Corda, Hyperledger, some other blockchain as well. Cool. Right, who wants to see it? Enough talk. All right. So I'm actually now as well contributing to the mobile SDK for this um, workbench, which I've just started and gotten access to it, so I probably shouldn't show you that source code. Right. So this is actually a preview deployment. The um, live deployment is now accessible, so the UX will be actually a little different. So what I'll do is... I don't think I've gotten access to deploy a live build yet. So this is all the stuff that's like deployed. Can everyone see that okay? So look at all that. Got all my app service deployments. There's my key vault, my app insights. All my virtual private networks around the nodes inside that architecture, that's all pre-configured for you. You've got your app service plan, setting up according to how you scale. All that's pre-configured. Your virtual machine scale set. So 
These network types will scale based upon load. Don't need to set that up. You've got load balancing happening. Um, so I mean, look at all this. Look at all this architecture, right? Like if you want to just start the ball rolling with, say, your company building a PSC, it's so time-consuming. Like I, I've worked on a on an enterprise customer where before this was available, one-click deployments, and they tried to just start developing how do we build an Ethereum network. You have to literally go right down to the source code. Not that far, but you do have to go really down theory on how Ethereum works. How are we going to build our distributed ledger? How are we going to write our crypto algorithms? How are we going to deploy a distributed network? How are we going to manage the um, the consensus by proof of work? Um, all that stuff comes into play. Another thing I didn't mention before, uh, proof of work is obviously around basically the more computation you have, the better you can mine. Ethereum brought out the next set, which is proof of state. Proof of state's a more secure consensus algorithm. Basically, proof of state goes by the more you own around your smart contracts and the more you own around your crypto, the more you have to mine. So you don't have the option to basically just buy a ton of computation and start mining. You actually have to pre-own a bigger asset to say, say for example, if we had four different nodes, we had four different people across the world trying to mine the blockchain to get a certain part of the Bitcoin. If I'm already owning 60% of Bitcoin, I can mine 60%. I can't just bulk up my computation and mine, so I steal the whole Bitcoin. Because that's where basically these public network types and the way the mining happened, I think, I'm sure if you had very environmentally friendly people looking at how much power that burns, it's pretty scary. I've seen guys on YouTube, just go into YouTube and type Bitcoin miner, and have a look at someone that sits in a den and he's literally just got like a, his own server room sitting in water because it's running so hot to cool it down. All it's doing is literally mining blockchain to make money. And because he owns the most computation, he's able to mine the most Bitcoin and get the most money. And that's where it's just becoming completely inefficient. So that's why it went permission to private. So it went proof of state, not proof of work. There's even proof of auth, I think is a new one, that's even taking proof of state another step. So anyway, what, so yep. what we're looking at there is everything that you get when you do the one click. Yeah, exactly. So this is for a workbench instance. You can actually jump in and you can see like, if I want to deploy Ethereum, this is deprecated. I'll just show you kind of here. So if I want to deploy an Ethereum consortium network, this is not workbench. This is um, different. And I just follow these steps, like define the number of nodes, define the number, the size, the scale you're looking for, and click create, and you've got an Ethereum network. Super quick, super quick to build out a PSC. But where the workbench is different from that is it's private. Um, I think that's consortium. So yeah, that is consortium. So that's permission-based. Private, you want enterprise completely private blockchain. Um, cool. Before I move on, any questions? Yep. Um, you mentioned Microsoft and Ethereum almost in the same breath. Is there some sort of relationship between Ethereum and Microsoft? Um, there's a... I shouldn't really talk about what's happening on the backbone around deals and everything like that, but, yeah, there's some partnerships between like Corda, Hyperledger, and Ethereum. Those three, Microsoft's got partnerships around... So if you see any 
blockchain one-click deployments, there's a partnership going on between Microsoft and that company. In the last year, Stephen Marshall brought the output of uh, Ethereum to Adelaide. He was great for an hour and a half. That's awesome. And um, one of the things that I remember he mentioned was that uh, for 300 US dollars, uh, you could get a certificate from Ethereum. Uh, is that what you would see as a recommended way for possible Ethereum developers to go? Yeah, look, I mean, for $300, it's pretty good. Um, but you can find out everything from Ethereum and how to deploy any type of blockchain architecture from YouTube, I guarantee it. Everyone's got great tutorials and the information. I wouldn't, if you're like looking to learn blockchain from scratch, I'm still learning big time about what's going on between the different, different, um, currencies, for example. Like, um, there's so much stuff on YouTube around this stuff that I would recommend that if you want to start, start on YouTube. There's so much there. Um, but three for three hundred dollars from the writer of Ethereum, if he's it's a, no, it's another option. I don't know if Microsoft's got anything to do with that at all, but um, yeah, I'm not too sure there. Uh, but if I would say that if you are getting into this stuff from scratch, go onto YouTube and you'll find out how much work is entailed to build an Ethereum architecture from scratch. And that's why I got so hooked on this stuff because I'm running around showing customers like a digital wallet on a mobile app on Workbench that I just deployed last night. And it's super easy. And now that it's gone live, it's even faster to spin up. So I'll go through just one more thing. So these are the resources. And I'll show you... These two things here, which is two app services. So this is the API, and this is what my mobile app talks to. And that will obviously produce events through Event Hub. That will get consumed through events, Event Grid. So all the events also coming from the um, nodes, where they're writing on the chain, whether they're reading from the chain, all those are published through another event publisher in Event Hub, through Event Grid as well. Uh, basically, what I'm going to do is, so this is the app service, and this is the web portal for deploying smart contracts into my distributed ledger. So, load it up again. This is the old UX. The new UX looks nice, looks really, really nice. Those are the two uh, Solidity contracts. So if you're writing Ethereum smart contracts, you write them in Solidity. You write smart contracts in Java as well for Go, and you can also write in... There's one more. For Hyperledger. I can't remember what it is. It's got its own language. That's three different types. They're probably the most common. Solidity is probably the most popular. So these are my two contracts that I've got deployed in my Ethereum network. This is all completely private. So no public node, no public user can jump on and start reading from the chain or replicating the chain. So I'm going to just show you, I'll probably show you like this first as well. This is my dashboard for my Ethereum network. When I showed this to Centrality in New Zealand, they laughed and they said, wow, that's it? Wait till you see our dashboard. But then basically I said, well, how long does your network type take to set up? Because this took about an hour to deploy. And that's where... When you try to show it, like if you're trying to sell that to enterprise customers, it just doesn't go. 
because you have to tell them, yeah, you've got to invest months of time and uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars to build this. We can offer it to you in an hour. That's the difference. It's five nodes. One, two, three, four, five. Showing me the rate, how they're mining, and whether they're mining. I can also see the amount of blocks currently sitting on the chain. And then I can also see last time they processed a block, where in the world, well that's blank, I'll just grab that, that should be showing where my nodes are. Um, average block time, last block was replicated four seconds ago, and then the total blocks sitting on the chain. You see that amount of blocks, 230,595. Throughput right now of this is pretty funny. So when I was demoing this to Korea and the customer and he was seeing how long these guys were taking to mine, like look at this, 20 seconds to mine for five nodes. No enterprise customer is going to accept that. So that's where, that's where enterprise and blockchain, blockchain is still behind where enterprise level needs to be. I need to be able to have 10,000 nodes, for example, or 1,000 nodes, and they need to be able to throughput 100, 200,000 transactions per second. That's the scalability that enterprise customers need for a private network type. And we're almost there um, in many ways, but it's coming down now to a lot more blockchain implementations like this company Centrality in New Zealand is doing with Plug. You're going to see a lot more um, blockchain applications and implementations building off Ethereum coming out for high throughput reasons. So that's just an overall, because anyone got any questions there, but that's that's an Ethereum network from a dashboard point of view. You just need to, from a, like a distributed ledger, trying to get your mind around what the distributed ledger is doing. Learning a distributed ledger is a lot of time. I don't actually like to spend too much time. I do want to learn it, but it does take a lot, a lot of research to understand cryptography, distributed ledgers, distributed networking, there's a lot involved. So you can see why it takes so long to build out a POC. So the idea with... Oh, yes. Sorry, I'm just going to push you on, on the cost. Because yep. so many resources... And that's going to be how long you're going to be on the So many resources yep. created. Yep. You said hundreds of thousands to get started up and started up and months. Yep. But um, if that's running at, I don't know, at some rate that's useful, yep. what, what's the cost there for the one? I don't know. That's a good question. No. Like, it's they're still coming up with a model to make it obviously cost effective, so. Exactly, yeah. I think for long to like that network type that was deployed, right? The whole resource group, you can build upon that. So if I want to write more off chain resources to do more transactions off the chain, I can build on that network, right? If I want to, it's, it's possible. But you're charged based upon, again, um, yeah, like the data store, the in and out operations of your event grid, that's what you're going to be charged upon. They're going to come up with some sort of pricing scheme that is going to be cost effective to it. It has to be. But the, yeah, obviously the main reason is to get it, just get it out quick. Yeah. Oh, when I find out more information, the pricing, well, it's just gone live at build. So the pricing should be up any day now. Yeah. Um, so there we go. So you can kind of see the, the mining now. When I actually start doing the mobile app demo, you'll see the five starting to mine, which is pretty cool. Cool. Okay. So that's the dashboard. I'll jump into the admin section first. 
So my user assignment here, these are all my users that are actually inside my Active, oh, seven, active Directory tenant. So I, when I deploy an instance, I'll actually give it all these users for doing privileges around like um, admin. There might be like CEO, I've got like personas, buyer, appraiser, inspector. The personas are the different users <coughs> writing on a smart contract. So I have an asset transfer contract. The scenario has four different parties. If I'm a seller, I'll have a, maybe a car, for example. I'll put it up and I want to sell it. And then I'll have a buyer who says, I want to buy that car. Here's a price. Those two agree and say, great. But before they uh, seal the deal, that uh, agreement then gets put across to an appraiser and then put across to an inspector. An appraiser checks the, the value of the vehicle, checks the price agreed upon and says, okay, that's cool. Um, the inspector looks at the, the item and then says, yes, the car's uh, up to mechanical standard, ticks it off and says, yes, that's good. So we have four parties now agreed. Then the appraiser and inspector go back to the seller and say, yep, inspection passed, appraisal passed, great. All those transactions and all the, how those parties say, um, like appraising done, inspecting done, they're transactions that will be written to the block and put on the blockchain every single time for a transaction. Then after the appraiser, the inspector and the buyer all have a three-way agreement. It's then put across to the seller with the final price. The seller says, yes, I'll take it. Um, no, sorry, the other way around. The three parties put across to the buyer and say, this is the final price, inspection, appraisal, done. The buyer says, I agree. Seller says, yes, asset transfer occurs. All that record of transactions is recorded one step at a time on the blockchain. So let's get to it. Sorry, what's the difference between the appraiser and the inspector? So like I just in an asset transfer, for example, an appraiser will check the price to the value of the asset. An inspector will check the um, quality of the asset okay. to the price. Um, that's one scenario example. So you like, for example, in health, if you have a patient going in to see a doctor, you'll have a patient, you'll have um, a doctor, and say for, if they're going for an operation, then you'll have a surgeon, so you get a three-way agreement there or something like that. That can, and that applies to almost any business context, right? Where there's different parties making an agreement upon a transaction. Um, so here in this section, deploy demo contract. This will look different UX, but I can, these are my deployed contracts. Asset transfer tele, telemetry compliance. I'll talk about telemetry compliance in a minute. But basically that's where I can deploy Oh, sorry, here, custom contract. So this is where I upload my .solidity file and my JSON files for what's required inside my network type. Solidity is all written. It's, it's pretty much just like, um, kind of looks like Java, really. Um, just around inside a Solidity contract, you'll have your personas inside a scenario. So in the asset transfer case, there was the buyer, seller, appraiser, inspector. They're the personas that are inside the Solidity contract. And it talks about how each one of those personas agrees and makes transactions. And that's what a Solidity contract describes. I upload it here and I deploy. And that will deploy and set up all the data scheming in the databases on the network type automatically. So that's what an admin does. It's basically around deploying the smart contracts. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you the mobile app. All right. 
So if anyone wants to do any sort of demos with their screen sharing their Android device or iOS device, ah, I've got spam on my phone, sorry. Um, Visor's really, really good at it. It's free. Okay. App Builder is what it was called previously. Now it's at the workbench. So I'm still running off previous stuff. So I am going to log in as my admin user. And so obviously I'm going through Active Directory. So this is my Active Directory channel that's being used with, uh, with the workbench uh, deployment. So I'm going to log in. Hopefully no one saw that password, but we'll just keep going. You should be able to access all my Microsoft stuff. Uh, so I've got to do two factors, sorry, quickly. I should log in. It doesn't crash. Or something. There we go. Yeah, my contract's deployed. So I'll just jump in the dashboard. Oops, show you the difference. Funny, it doesn't even have a back button because it's in preview. So this is my asset transfer, and these are all my these are all my asset transfers that have been created on the blockchain. So for every single say, like in this case, I was selling a car. Um, see how I've got all these different fields that are filled out for that one there. That's an entire scenario that's completed where an asset transfer has completed the entire process. So if I bring up my mobile app. Asset transfer, if I click on here, should pull up now. One moment, sorry, bit of a bug. Here we go. Um, basically, so there, it's pulling down basically what's in here. And this is over the API. So now when you're seeing, bring up the dashboard so you can kind of see when I start replicating stuff, you'll see some processing happening on the chain. Cool. So let's jump in and let's have a look at my accepting contract on the mobile app. So your mobile app is just another facade as an admin user? But no, I can actually be, say for example, if this is a smartwatch, making a transfer for coins or something like that, I'm making transactions to my smart contract in my architecture. This is just showing like an example, like if, if I'm an admin and I want to do I just read my asset transfers that have happened. Yeah. Um, but basically, you can do anything that happens on the architecture through the mobile app, through the API. Okay. Um, so, see these transactions here? So, I'll get to that accepted one. That's this guy. So, these are the four parties that have been involved. I just named buyer, inspector, and appraiser just as those names. But see these transactions here? These, this is the important stuff. So, this is the stuff that sits on, a block, on the blockchain. So see all those transactions? Every single time one of those transactions occurs, it will take a block, mine the chain and put it on. And then it will go by a consensus. Actually, no, sorry, it doesn't do that first. It goes by the consensus proof of state and checks that's a valid transaction by a certain algorithm. Once all those nodes say, yep, that's a valid transaction, they will then take a new block and mine it onto the chain. 
and we mine onto the chain using cryptography. And every single transaction every, is a block, and that's the hash to that block. So if you don't understand how blockchain works and how it's so secure, the way people have tried to hack it, and obviously you can uh, you can obviously mine onto a blockchain and try to just guess this guy here. So that hashing algorithm, if it changes on one blockchain and a node over here doesn't see that hashing algorithm match, then it rejects that transaction and it does not create the block, it does not mine it onto the chain. We can go on forever about security with blockchain, but there's YouTube videos for that. Yeah, basically that all those transactions, these are process transactions that have created blocks, put them on the blockchain. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start a new asset transfer. So let's create a new contract. And I'm going to sell my car for one dollar because it's rubbish. What it's going to do is it's going to create a contract. So it starts off by creating a block using proof of state to update the consensus between the nodes. And let's watch, we should see the mining start to occur when it creates. So see how slow it's taking? Because right now this was a preview deployment. Um, super slow. So it's still creating fakes. That's because it's trying to work out where to mine and put it on the chain. So bad. Oh, God, come on. When that's done, what will happen is basically creates a new block, puts a new smart contract instance inside the data, uh, data store, which is SQL database, and then starts to mine across all the nodes and put it on the blockchain. Good God, hurry up. Super bad. When that finally finishes to certain decides to create, we should see it here as well. Which you can jump into. So this is an active contract with a car, which is only received, it's just created an asset waiting now for a seller to say, I want to buy. So if I want to then go and then perform actions, I might go terminate offer and I'm just going to get rid of it. So I've terminated that offer. You should see, should see some activity. Here we go. Five seconds ago, we start seeing blocks increase. But we're not mining because we're not putting any transaction onto the chain with the termination. Hey, it's finished. My $1 car. Now, if I update my mobile page, I should see my $1 car. There we go. At the top, active. So, cool. I've got a new asset on there. I've created a new block on the chain. All the nodes have accepted and written to the blockchain. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to log out. Log in, and I'm going to log in as my as my buyer. I might have to reamp and Chrome because that was a bug around remembering off identity. Okay. 
Amen. Oh, it's still wondering. It's a bug. See how it's still logging into my admin account? might actually have to log in by my Microsoft and Chrome and then log in Safari. Just give me a second to authenticate get in again. So I'll show you the actual Active Directory tenant that I'm using where I created that Workbench instance. I actually got a ton of Active Directories that I need to just demo. Okay, and then we jump into Active Directory. users and you see it, there's my buyer user, there's my um, inspector, my appraiser as well. So I'm going to be the buyer. I'm logging as this guy. Actually a terrible demo because you just show logging in, logging out all the time. Uh, I'm gonna up one more window so I can bring up that app builder side again. Come on. I switch directories again. You don't have to do this. It's only because I've got a demo instance of an Active Directory and my Workbench instance deployed in my Microsoft Active Directory. Sounds messy. Uh, jump in career demo. In the future, I'll save that URL so I don't have to jump back and do this again. Career. Get my app service again. Finally, all right. 
Now I should log in as the buyer and I'll see when I land on the home page, I've got a contract now waiting um, if I want to buy it, basically. So say for example, like if you're eBay, this could be like an eBay scenario using blockchain. So see how the buyer, and there we go. So I can only see, because I'm not an admin, I can't actually see the, um, the admin section, but I can see asset transfer because there's contracts waiting for me to buy. So here, I've got a buyer contract I can look at. It runs much faster than this since it's gone live. This is just another preview deployment. Oh, come on. I'm just trying to jump back the screen. Okay. So there's my active one. And see how I get, and now I'm a buyer, I can make an offer. And I'm going to say, here, I've got a, so as the buyer, I can choose the inspector and the appraiser. So the buyer can't do that because obviously I could just fraudulently do whatever I want with the inspector and, buyer and appraiser. And I'm going to give 50 cents. <coughs> Submit. And you'll see now, creating action. So now it's creating a transaction, creating a block, checking with all my nodes through proof of state, then writing and mine, so mining to the blockchain. See the block, and when that's done, see we'll get also like this is it'll show just a pinwheel basically for how far through the scenario you've gone through an asset transfer. So actually, another sucky thing about this web portal, and then you'll basically see two blocks written on the chain. Still, actually, it's still mining. That's how fast it is. We should see some mining action going on. So why did the contract end up on that buyer's homepage? Uh, because as a buyer, I can only see assets being sold. I can't see anything else. I can't do anything else because in my Active Directory tenant, I've only specified that that user can only do buy actions on, smart, on the asset transfer contract. So that's how you're getting that private consortium-style network where you're permissioning everything centralised in an Active Directory tenant. Whereas if it was public, there's no centralization to authorize whatever someone wants to do. I can just grab the blockchain. I can't write to it. I have to get it approved by the whole um, consensus. But um, basically, again, nothing's authorizing who can read and write and do that sort of activity. So they'll see everything that any seller puts on that network. Correct. Yep. Uh, so, cool. So now I'll jump back into the mobile app. And I'll show you to It's kind of you see as well. I actually have to do it again. So see how buggy it is? You're kind of seeing some of the bugs that are in preview. If I do it twice, it should work. And then sometimes it throws two blocks on the chain and then I'm in trouble. Because I've got two offers. So then once the... Oh my god, it still hasn't gone on. <clears throat> Let me come back in about 30 seconds or a minute. It'll be there. So once I've now made an offer, it then goes back to the buyer. The buyer says, all right, hey, 
Now I'm going to basically put it across to the appraiser and to the inspector. So now if I log out, and I want to log in again, I am actually going to log in as the appraiser, I think is the first guy in the process. Hopefully the password hasn't changed. Cool. And now I will only be able to see any asset transfers waiting appraisal. And there we go. So the contract here, because there's been... Oh no, that's the wrong one. Sorry. Okay. Why does it show me a completed contract? Jump in and look at my active one. So, for some reason, that make offer still hasn't gone through yet. It's still mining. It's the bad news. But basically, what I'll see now is I'll see at the top here actions that my appraiser can do, and then I can appraise and inspect the inspect the asset, see the price, and click check. Then the same thing happens again. Creates a transaction, creates a block, consensus update across all the network, and then writes to the chain. And that is basically Azure Blockchain Workbench and how it works today. So what I recommend um, looking at after this talk, if you want to get in and actually start doing this stuff yourself, um, is oh, I've got some links I'll show you at the end. But the Gateway Service API, so over that mobile app, what you, was, what you were seeing before, that's all done over RESTful HTTP. So you just got an endpoint. So when I deploy a smart contract for an asset, so I deployed an asset transfer contract into my distributed ledger, then basically my gateway service API will rebuild and give my mobile app the API connections to, if you're a buyer, write, uh, write that transaction for making a buy. I'm a seller. It'll give you all the API calls to make. So you don't have to do any of that. I won't go into too much detail about all the other stuff because I think... Just as well. So that's what it looks like on Azure from like a architectural point of view. Active Directory Matt, is centralizing all the permissions for the users um, and who can read and write to the chain. Client app, so the web portal is deployed in an app service. You also get the API app and then you also get the mobile apps deployed out of the box um, when you deploy an instance. For my gateway service API, that's how my mobile app connects to the blockchain network and starts reading and writing on the chain. The event hub is what processes all the events coming from the gateway service API. Then we've also got, these are our nodes and our consumers of the blockchain. Um, these guys are obviously reading and writing all our events and all our contract instances to SQL database and storage. Um, we also have transaction builder for Signing transactions around whether I'm a buyer, whether I'm a seller, all that security, that's managed by Keybot. Public private keys. Uh, they're also publishing events as well onto its own event hub. And it will, you, I think it's all, sorry, it's all consumed by event grid. Two publishers, two consumers. Events coming from the API, events coming from the blockchain network. Architecture like all the nodes. Two different places. And then obviously we have our transaction routers and ledgers and this is basically, I can, I can actually also deploy 
which is really, really cool. So if I'm an Ethereum network, I get a, an Ethereum router. If I'm a Hyperledger network, I get a Hyperledger router. Routing is all around consensus updates. So for Hyperledger, they have their own type of consensus. Quarter has its own type of consensus and Ethereum has its own type of consensus. That's the algorithm for keeping state amongst all the different node blockchain instances. And that's how it looks like on Azure. So one more thing, I'll quick touch quickly on this. If you don't know what a smart contract is, two parties is written as code into the blockchain. Contracts can be encoded on any blockchain. So Ethereum is obviously the very first blockchain implementation to bring out smart contracts. And that's the agreement between two or more parties. So in our asset transfer, we have four parties agreeing on whether transactions process to the next part of the scenario. Deploying and using smart contracts. We saw that that's kind of how it looks like if we're going to deploy. These, all these different like examples here, these are custom written in Solidity. We can upload that Solidity file. I'll quickly just jump in, I'll show you what a Solidity file looks like to finish off. But that's how we deploy them inside the workbench. That UX all here is changed from build. So it actually looks like proper Microsoft UX. And that's kind of obviously we saw that screen before, so let's get over that. Getting started today. So I'll give you those links if you want. Um, these guys will explain Workbench, I'm sure, a lot better than me. They're only two 15-minute videos. They don't go into technical detail like I tried to do there. I don't try to because you just lose people straight away because it gets very technical. It's very, very high level. It's easy to understand. It's only about half an hour of content to read, but they're very good. They go through just simple scenarios, deploying an instance. It's all you need to know. They don't go through how distributed ledgers work. It's good to understand how they do work because, I mean, it is a blockchain network. You want to understand. Question. Can you change a contract after it's been uploaded? That's a good point. Yes, you can. Yes. Uh, so at this point in time, in the preview, it didn't work. But build, yeah, it should work. So basically, you just redeploy the contract and it'll update. And I'm pretty sure it gives you versioning in your schema um, from, obviously, the different versions that have been applied. Yeah. So I'll just jump in. I want to show you one quick thing before I finish off. I know this is a lot of stuff. If anyone's ever tried to turn off I turn on iCloud 2 for all your file system on Mac, don't ever do it. Uh, so smart contracts, demo config, and this is what Solidity file. So easy to write smart contracts. And, and this is where it just makes it, Workbench makes it so easy for like anyone who doesn't understand blockchain to start building block apps. Because see, if I'm an app dev guy and I'm an app, like I'm a guy who just builds app, I don't want to worry about understanding like what a ledger is and how it works. I just want to build an app. And like, I just want to build a smart wallet app. I don't want to understand the, the ledger part of it all. So inside um, a Solidity contract, you have what's called a base contract. So this is all around like when the contract's created and when it's updated. So if you want to update your contracts, it'll call this function here. And then all, all your nodes will run these same functions to update. So if I do in an asset transfer, so see how I've got my, my personas, my buyer, my inspector, my appraiser, and then you've also got like the description asking price of the asset. So if I want to then say asset transfer create, 
and then I want to terminate. I've got the terminate function. So these are all the functions that process blocks onto the blockchain. And you specify these in your Solidity contract. And you just basically give it variables and specify the, the logic around how a transaction performs between the parties. So if my party wants to make an offer, I have to check my inspector and my appraiser set and my offer price is not equal to zero. It has to be greater than zero. As long as that applies, then base, revert is like basically break. So if you're on C sharp and you've got break command to stop running anything underneath, that's what revert does. But yeah, so these are, it's all the logic around how a function processes onto the chain. So how those personas agree to create a block and run to the chain. Um, yeah, so it's got like accept offer, modify offer, decide offer, all those different, all these are different transactions that will process a block onto the blockchain. And that's, that's how you write a Solidity contract. It's very simple. So when we actually deploy these into the workbench, we give it the Solidity and we also give it like a UI config. And this is just like a JSON payload around sort of, um, data types and the actions. And the parameters accepted in each action. It's like a blueprint, basically, if you solidity contract. Because the UI on Workbench builds, like, it, it builds the, the front end according to that JSON payload, like, like so. So all that UI is mapped to you based upon those config files. That's it. I won't do any more. I think that's enough. <laughs> any questions? I'll share this material with you guys. If you've got any questions, um, I, I suggest the best place to start is those YouTube videos. Michael, is there a build video that, uh, will, that covers the latest version of this? That's those links. That, that was, yeah, that was two, two days ago when it was presented in, um, where is it this year? In the US somewhere. Yeah. Seattle? Yeah. So yeah, that, that was literally two days ago it was uploaded. Yeah. That's the best place to start because, like I said, when you start looking at this, you'll probably start going down the road of looking into ledgers, looking into contracts, and I kid you not, it's a never-ending uh, roadmap. Yeah. Cool.